Want to do better? Then it's time to change the story. Welcome to our show about new visions currently transforming the world through the confluence of art, tech, and innovation. And now your hosts, Michael Ashley and Neil Sahota. Hey, welcome to another episode of Changing the Story. We've got a fantastic guest today, Stella Liu. She is currently the product manager at Indigo Agriculture, a VC-backed unicorn startup, where she's helping the carbon program's vision to remove one teraton of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere by incentivizing farmers to adopt regenerative agriculture. Prior to Indigo, she worked in artificial intelligence product management at the IBM Watson IoT division and was a full bright scholar doing policy research in urban agriculture with the Singapore government. Stella, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for being here, Stella. So Stella, as a visionary, what is the story that you want to bring to the world? Yeah, I have a, there's a slight twist to my answer to that question because I hope the story we're able to tell in the future uh, was that we worked really hard right now and was able to give future generations a world that's carbon neutral and food secure. That's great. So how, how do we, how do we begin to get there? <laughs> um, it's quite complex. I think there's many different, many different things we have to do to, to reach that vision. Um, and I might want to like break down perhaps what I mean by uh, carbon neutral and what I mean by food secure um, and talk about those two things intersect. Um, so like, for instance, for achieving carbon neutrality would basically mean that we emit as much carbon emissions that we then remove from the atmosphere. Um, and, and for food security, that means everyone in the world has sufficient access to nutritious food. Um, so bo achieving both of those two at once is actually really tricky um, because if you think about our growing world population, we're going to go from 7 billion to 9 billion people in the world. Um, and then you overlay that with the impacts of climate change and what that has on food production. Um, like if, if you do one degree Celsius of warning, a warming, a lot of studies show that we'll see a reduction of like 10% in grain production around the world. And if you think of droughts and wildfires and other environmental things that might occur, um, it, it definitely gets a little worrisome when you think about uh, what we're able to produce in that context to meet the demands of a population around the world that's growing every day. Um, so, yeah. that's, a, that's a big, big job, Stella. Um, I'm, I'm glad you're pursuing it because I think a lot of people don't realize uh, how much agriculture actually impacts the planet. I mean, you think about land stewardship, you think about like water co consumption, like what is it, 10 gallons of water to grow one almond, right? We don't think of these things, we think about we need to produce food, but I, I think like Peter Diamandis and Stephen Kotler were talking about in abundance, we actually have the ability to grow enough food for everybody. We just don't make efficient use of our, our resources. I mean, is that like the big challenge? Or is there actually way more to this than we realize? Yeah. So I think there'll have to be innovations in both spheres. So in the area of food, you absolutely hit it on the head. Like it's not just about production. It's also how do we distribute the food we grow efficiently to people? 
Like I know there's a study in the UN that said there's over a trillion dollars of food wasted every year. And that could basically feed the number of undernourished people around the world if we were able to um, avoid that. So I do think it's, it's a lot about innovating across the food value chain. So what can we do to produce food um, in, a, in a world where there's erratic weather conditions? Like, can we grow crops that are drought resistant um, and are able to survive through changing weather conditions? Are we able to transport what we grow efficiently to all the different distributors? Um, and there's a lot of innovation there on packaging, for instance, to make sure food doesn't spoil. Um, and then there's a lot of things we can do when the consumer gets it. Like, how do we, how do we educate people to not waste food and only buy just what they need? Um, so I think there's innovation all around that in the food area. And then for climate, there's a lot of startups out there and a lot of science to just understand what are the levers we can pull to try to reduce our carbon emissions around the world from, I think there's a lot of policy efforts um, and a lot of technology efforts as well. Um, I think what I'm really excited about is the project I'm kind of working on because it does intersect both spheres really nicely. Um, like if we're able to get farmers to farm regeneratively, we're able to take carbon emissions out of the atmosphere, return it back to the soil. Um, we're basically giving the farmer, a, we're paying the farmer to do that. So we're also helping the farmer's bottom line and they're able to farm more sustainably, which is better for the environment. Um, so I think that's like a really nice example of a win-win, but yeah, I think it's, I, I guess I came up with a story that's very massive, but I guess in summary, don't, we'll have to do a lot in the food sphere and the climate sphere. And then certainly there's innovative projects operating at the intersection of the two. Sure. And I, I very much agree with you that there is a ton of waste going on. Um, as a person who's worked in restaurants as a cook and a server, I mean, just looking at the amount of food that's wasted, uh, not just in restaurants, but also in, in grocery stores. And unfortunately, even in my own home, uh, we, have a, we, have a young, we have young kids. Sometimes they don't eat everything on the plate, and I feel bad. I mean, that's that's a small thing, but it is food that's being uh, gone to waste. Um, we mentioned e efficiencies. Uh, I also feel like there's another component here, which is the po political aspect of yeah. this too. I mean, it seems like we're, we're talking about this from a, a technical perspective. How do we become more efficient? But how do we also... Uh, affect people's hearts and minds to make them more aware of this issue to help create a world in which there is a more equitable uh, distribution of resources when it comes to food how do we we also change that yeah i agree i definitely think um there's certainly a policy angle in both in both areas that can that would that could help us improve the current state um yeah so i think you're right on that regard I, I, I want to go just tangential for a second and revisit this for, you know, we'll come back in a second, but, you know, agriculture is not something that most people think about, at least in the U.S., I think less than 2% of people are farmers. I mean, Stella, how did you actually get involved in all this? What made you decide you're passionate about agriculture? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it's not something that everyone grows up one day and says, I want to be a farmer. Um, for me, I ended up getting into this space um, a little later in college. Um, during freshman year, I joined this program called the Costa Rica Global Sustainability Program, where a bunch of students went out to Costa Rica 
um, and basically stayed in this zero waste farm. And I thought it was like fascinating because we, before that trip, I had no idea how food was produced. So to like go out there, realize pineapples grew from the ground as like a fun fact. I thought they were on trees. That just shows like <laughs> my, my knowledge in this space at the time. Um, but it was also fascinating to see like the farmers in Costa Rica just so passionate about kind of marrying profitability with sustainability. Um, like even the way they designed their farms, they had uh, they they had this mountain, and then they basically uh, planted crops that need a lot of water on the top and the crops that didn't need as much water in layers below. So then when they watered it from the top, they just made use of like all the water that they had. Um, and they even used like waste, human waste, animal waste. They brought it back to the farm and created energy, which they used to cook their food. So super fascinating. Um, but then the aha moment really came when I returned back to the States and started educating myself in the way food's grown in America and around the world. And I realized like that is not how most food is grown <laughs> in the world today. <laughs> Very industrialized. There's like pumping chemicals everywhere. And I was like, I read Om Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan. And that, that just did it for me. Like I, I had no idea that we were pumping so many chemicals into, uh, into our fields. I was creating like runoff dead zones in the ocean. Like it's just wild. Um, so after that aha moment, I started getting really passionate about it throughout college. And that's when I met Neil. I did a startup at the time, um, wrote my Fulbright application, and then I was on my way. And I can't believe it's been four years, <laughs> almost five years since, yeah. Yeah. So um, if you could paint a, a picture, now you have this experience, you have this passion. Uh, first of all, what are some of the active initiatives that you're working on? And then what is what might the world look like five, 10 years from now based on the work that you're doing and the work that other people that are like-minded are doing? Yeah, absolutely. I can talk more about um, the, the initiative I'm working on with Indigo, because I think it does have a lot of promise. Um, and part of the program's mission is focused on getting farmers not just to be paid for the quantity of food they produce, which is what's happening right now. The more food you grow, the better, even at the expense of the environment. Um, and they wanna switch that and try to actually pay farmers for, for the quality and like the way they produce food. Like can we, can we pay farmers upfront so they manage the soils better and manage the soil health? And they can do those things by planting cover crops on the, on the field, by reducing tillage in the soil. Um, because when you till the ground, it actually emits a ton of carbon in the atmosphere. So if you can shoot seeds into the ground or reduce that amount of tillage, you can actually keep carbon in the soil. Um, and what's like a really amazing thing is, is like all of those practices kind of are low tech. Like it's all about bringing animals to the farm, about reducing chemicals, reducing equipment. Um, and by doing so, like we're not only helped the environment, like I mentioned, but um, we also protect the farmer's soil. It's able to absorb water better. Um, and a lot of farmers who are successful in this end up being very highly profitable at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, so I think like when that's successful, what we can hopefully show is like farmers around in the United States that look, the old way that you're doing, yes, it brings in yields. Um, but if you do these awesome new sustainable practices, you'll not only protect kind of the longevity of your farm, but you'll also make the world a better place and then we'll pay you as well. And we hope to see that shift 
um, and farmers in America and hopefully go to Europe. So if our programs really well, we'll see farmers, um, we'll, we'll see like a big uh, positive impact to the environment, um, both in Europe and America and hopefully South America as well. We've been investigating those countries too. Um, so that was a deep dive into our current initiative and what it'll look like in the future. Mm -hmm. um, I think like if we're going to just pause and imagine what the world would look like if we achieve food security around the world and we're carbon neutral, it's so hard because like I feel like our very, <laughs> our fate, our like the way we do things have to change, like from the way we plan cities, from uh, from the way we think about transportation, like I, I think like so much has to change. And I hope like the innovations that I mentioned from producing food, distributing, consuming it, as well as like the technologies to remove carbon emissions and then the policies to help people stop emitting. I think all of those things need to like come together. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm happy to like just dive into one bit. I think it's hard to like paint a huge picture of that because so much has to change for that to happen. Sure. That, yeah. I mean, I think that'd be, be awesome if you could help paint that picture because if I understand right, what you're talking about has to do with regenerative agriculture, which you work in. And mm -hmm. it sounds like there's a lot of win-win over there. There's also some challenges. I mean, what's, what do you see going on and what can we do to help? Yeah, so you mean challenges with the carbon emission, uh, the carbon initiative or in general? Carbon initiative and getting like farmers on board, maybe it's the whole supply chain on board or, you know, I, you're, you're the expert, Stella, so we, we love to get your perspective on this. Got it. <laughs> well, I think it depends on who's watching. I think if you're watching this as a consumer, as like an everyday person, I think something that would be really helpful is to uh, is to follow policies around climate and make sure you advocate for them in your local government. Um, it's about reducing your own carbon footprint as much as you can. Um, and there's a lot of studies that show like if you reduce air flight travel, if you're vegetarian, like there's things we can do in our everyday lives that can help. Um, reduce the, the number of carbon emissions we personally emit. Um, and then I think also just being educated about what's going on in the agriculture industry and then supporting farmers who are, who are farming more sustainably or, or, or organic farmers. Um, and I know like for Indigo, we're hoping that uh, once we get an attraction with the program, you'll be able to walk through the supermarkets and be able to see hey, Farmer Joe uh, was behind like producing this food product and they helped drive like this amount of carbon emissions back into the ground. So like being able to pay for your dollar and, and just like um, basically purchasing the products of farmers who are, who are trying to make a difference. Um, so I think there's a lot we can do with, with that. I guess if you're like a policymaker, there's a lot we can do with climate. All right, listen up, policymakers. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot. I think I think a lot will change depending on the election that's going to happen this year. So not to be too political, but 
the current administration doesn't believe climate change exists. So mm -hmm. getting the right administration into the White House will likely see a lot of improvement in protecting the environment. Um, and so EPA will probably be a lot more functional then. So I think politically, just trying to get the right administration in the White House that shares those values is really important. And that's certainly actually something we can do um, as an everyday person is to vote. It's so important. Um, and I think if you're, if you're listening in and you're in, in the world of tech and you're working at Google, Facebook, um, I think there's a lot of like upcoming startups where they could really value technical skills and they're working on really amazing things. Um, like I'm starting to post more on my LinkedIn, but for instance, there's a startup called Climate AI that are, that are trying to build up models to better predict the impacts of climate change on our food systems. So I think there's a ton of really great um, organizations that are, that are being created. And the CBNEC, um, I might messed up the name, but they created like the list of top 50 innovative startups around the world. And all of them had in common was like a social and environmental mission. So I think if you're just about to graduate, if you're a professional, there's a lot of different organizations that could use your talent and your skills. Um, so yeah, I think that's a broad sweep. Sure. Well, that, that's extremely helpful. Um, and, and it sounds like we're talking a lot about incentives uh, to encourage behavior. Uh, we had a guest on a few days ago and we were talking about it, it's easier for someone in the middle class and especially the upper class to make these decisions because they have the bandwidth to even uh, educate themselves about this. Also, they have the financial resources to make different decisions. Um, but what for when we're thinking about the farmer who has certain economic incentives um, that don't always align with this mission, for instance, how do how do you uh, think to address that that issue when there are, let's say short term incentives don't align with this um, and they need to, they need to do what's right for them um, and perhaps they're even even they want to do these types of things. They want the environment to be more sustainable, but their own individual economic uh, incentives don't exactly align with this. What, what would you say in, in that situation? Does yeah, that make exactly. Sense? No, that totally makes sense. And it's part of the reason why the regenerative agriculture that I've been talking about has not been adopted mm -hmm. by most farmers. Like most farmers do very conventional industrial farming today and it's part of that reason they get paid on the amount they produce not really how they produce it mm -hmm. um so i so i think like as we we're like in year one of the program um and what we learned was like it's so important to show to communicate the value of farming regeneratively not through a environmental kind of message but rather like showing them here's the impact of profitability on their farm like we mm -hmm. built profitability calculators where they can say like, um, if I, I live in this area, my farm size is this amount, I'm planning to grow this crop and I will reduce till or I will add cover crop. And then this is my current revenue, this is my cost. Then we kind of model out and show how, how making that switch can have, help improve their bottom line. Mm -hmm. um, and then also like making sure crystal clear on how how the payment will actually be paid out with them against them over time um, and show like both the impact on revenue for their farm operation and then the cost savings of adopting regenerative. Yeah, so we've had to like really communicate more the economic benefit of them. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the nice, 
thing is like once they do this, there is the broader um, positive environmental impact that we'll see if they adopt these practices. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We do message it a little differently when we talk to them. <laughs> right, right. That That's actually interesting because farmers by nature are forecasters, right? To kind of forecast next year's crop and how much money to so they can invest in the next season's crop. But it sounds like if you give them the right tools, the right information, they can actually model it economically, and I'm sure they're modeling other ways to actually figure that stuff out. Mm-hmm. Is that a rollout that's like in mass, or is that something that we have to try and do like one farmer at a time? Mm, so you mean by in mass, by like giving farmers access to these calculators that we're creating? Yeah, is it that we can teach 10,000 farmers at the same time or do we have to teach them one by one? Because it sounds like some of it is every farmer kind of has, I assume, their their cash crops and different available topsoil depending on what region they are in. I'm just curious as to how quickly or how long it might take to make this transformation. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I would like to like break that apart a little bit because I think like there's the farmer interest that you're kind of alluding to and knowledge, getting the knowledge out there. And then there's also like the timing and switching practices too. Um, So in terms of like demand and interest, we actually didn't have to really go out and knock on people's doors and do a really huge outbound sales effort. We found a lot of farmers gravitated toward the idea of doing these practices and getting paid. Um, We were actually like very surprised by the amount of farmers who submitted um, interested acres into our program. Like we're, we're almost to 10 million acres submitted by farmers. So it's like really organic interest that we've been seeing. Um, So that hasn't been the hard part. I guess like the challenge would be, was, figuring out, wow, we have all this interest. How do we scale out, scale up our operations? How do we give farmers the knowledge to like make these transitions? Um, and then for the knowledge part, we do, we have built out a website where it's basically our growers portal into the carbon program. And that's where they can log in, create an account at their field boundaries and collect data on their farm. Um, we also give them a lot of learning material there too of like, how do you adopt these different practices? What are case studies of farmers in your region, in your area? Um, what are some step-by-step instructions? So they have all of that. We also rolled out an Indigo Acres program, which gives people who are just starting just the extra touch of support. They have to pay a little bit to get in, but we basically pair them with an agronomist who's like an expert who will, who will give them more personalized advice after going to their farm, and recommending very specific practices they could do. Um, so we do give them that sort of ag- agronomic support too. And that goes to like a special premium tier of farmers. Um, and that was the reason why like they wanted to pull up this, build out this website platform so quickly. And that was, that's actually my role right now is managing um, part of that site. Um, and it's part of it is to be able to like give farmers knowledge very quickly. If you sign up, you, you can log in and get the information you need. But in terms of adopting regenerative practice, it it does take a long time. Like people sign ten year contracts in the in the program. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is a very like long term effort. Yeah. Um, and we do expect farmers naturally will pilot a new practice in a in a subset of their fields, 
and then they make sure that's working and then they'll expand slowly outwards. So we are expecting like um, for the first year to have farmers experiment, um, notice that it's working, noticing that like their soil health improving and then they'll slowly scale out to the rest of their operation. So there is that, um, that amount of time that, that that will have to take. Well, it sounds like this is really amazing, great work that you're doing, Stella. How can people begin to learn more about it? How can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so if you, um, you can look up the Terraton Initiative and read more about it. It's also um, on, our, on our website for Indigo. Um, and they can definitely reach out to me through LinkedIn. You can mm-hmm. share with them my profile. Wonderful. Well, we'll put that in the show notes. And Stella, thank you for sharing your story with us. Yeah, thank you for listening and for organizing this. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, Stella. Hey, if you like today's show, please remember to hit the like button and leave a comment. If you've been enjoying the Changing the Story podcast series, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you.